Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name is Amy, and together with my husband, Johnny, we lead the church here in Nottingham, England. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. And if we can help you in any way at all, feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. Well, I, I read a story in the week, and I, you know, I'm going to say, this might, may or may not impress you, uh, from the National Geographic. Now, I accessed it on the Tinterweb, so I, you know, I'm not a subscriber. But I read a story this week from the National Geographic about the oldest plant ever to be regenerated. Now, the previous record uh, of, of age for a plant to be regenerated, that is a seed uh, which has been frozen or lain dormant for some reason. The previous record was 2,000 years. That is to say, a 2,000-year-old seed was regenerated, but this just kicked that right out of the park, right into the long grass. 2,000 years, nothing. This seed was activated after 32,000 year, years of dormancy. So this is what we read in National Geographic. The oldest plant ever to be regenerated has been grown from 32,000-year-old seeds, beating the previous record holder by some 30,000 years. A Russian team discovered a seed cache of, now forgive me here, these names are Latin and my Latin is not so good, Silene stenophila will go for, a flowering plant native to Siberia that had been buried, this is my favorite bit, by an ice age squirrel. <laughs> Has anybody seen ice age? Is there a squirrel in it? Ah, <laughs> uh, Pixar knows everything. An ice age squirrel near the banks of the Kalima River, which is in close to Siberia. Radiocarbon dating confirmed that the seeds were 32,000 years old. The mature and immature seeds, which had been entirely encased in ice, were unearthed from 124 feet, which is, if in a modern money, is 38 meters, below the permafrost. Surrounded by layers that included mammoth, bison, and woolly rhinoceros bones. The mature seeds had been damaged, perhaps by the squirrel itself, to prevent them from germinating in the burrow. But some of the immature seeds retained viable plant material. The team extracted that tissue from the frozen seeds, placed it in vials, and successfully germinated the plants, according to a new study. The plants, identical to each other, but with different flower shapes from modern stenophylla, grew, flowered, and after a year, created seeds of their own. We have a picture, folks, of those very flowers. Isn't that amazing? Isn't, I see, I see some faces scrunching up. I see cynics in the room. No, it's amazing. Isn't that incredible? 32,000 years of dormancy. The power of life is extraordinary. We so often focus on the power of death. And that is understandable. We live in a world where everything 
as Bob Dylan said, everything is broken. Everything's tainted, discolored, stained by death. And yet, look at the power, the resilience, the bounce-back ability of life. Life is powerful. It is a force that cannot be overcome. We've been in a series for the last few weeks on Jesus' teaching, particularly his parables, these stories with intent that we in the church for too long have sort of held as fluffy stories we can keep in the corner or teach our children because they'll understand them, won't they? And what we've been trying to do is reframe them, not as fluffy stories about sheep that'll keep our kids happy, but as Eugene Peterson said, ticking time bombs, stories that were designed by Jesus to create an explosion in our lives, stories that weren't uh, earthly stories for a heavenly use, but they had a dramatic and immediate impact there and then in the time that Jesus gave them. And they're designed to have that same impact here and now in our lives, if only we'll take them seriously. That's what the parables of Jesus are. And we said that the reason he has to teach in this way to start with is because he has to encode his message. He has to encase it, if you like, in ice. Because if he were to say the kind of things that he wanted to say without the stories, he'd have been strung up right then, right there. And today, Jesus' parable looks at this miraculous power of life. He looks at uh, the power that is contained within a seed. I don't know if he was referring here. No, he wasn't. He's talking about wheat, but not to Stenophila. But he's looking at the majestic power of seeds, the power that is contained within life, and saying and relating this power as an image of God's kingdom. Here's what we read in Mark chapter 5, and if you have it, please do open your Bible and read it along with me. Verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself. The soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Okay, just really simply, let's explain the parable. It's not that complex. But if you're not used to maybe the agricultural imagery and you think that bread just you know, arrives on your Sainsbury's as the little deletes appropriate shelf without anything happening beforehand. Let me just fill you in. And this, this parable, it's remarkable, you'll notice straight away, if you've heard the parable of the sower, it's remarkably similar to the parable of the sower. There we have a farmer, not a man, but a farmer sowing seed liberally. But the emphasis in the parable of the sower has more to do with what happens to the seed, or rather the soil. Some people call it the parable of the soils, the four soils. It's more to do with receptivity and response to Jesus' kingdom ministry. This is less about the response. It's less about the soil. It really is about the seed. So though there is is some overlap, there's actually a dramatic difference here. And what we have here is a a sower going out to seed. Put simply, the sower is going out to throw seed. And if you imagine the message of the gospel of the kingdom is that seed, which this 
man sows on the ground. And, and what happens with this seed is that it disappears into the earth. It's buried, not in this case for 32,000 years beneath permafrost in a squirrel's belly, uh, but it's buried. And seemingly that's it. And yet, as time elapses, what we see is that fruit emerges. As time elapses, fruit emerges. And that is a miraculous thing, and it has to do with a life, and this is the key thing, a life that belongs to the seed. It is a life that's inherent and lives in the seed. It is a property of the seed. Just as a seed has that miraculous property, Jesus is saying, so the message of the kingdom of God has life inherent within it. It contains life. Almost fell off the stage. (laughs) A property of the seed of the kingdom is life. Jesus says, the man who sows the seed, he says, he himself does not know how. The life of the kingdom of God The kingdom of God, the message of the kingdom of God has life connected and contained within it. But there's something we need to learn about the kingdom of God. Jesus, I think, is trying to teach his people, his disciples, and anyone who is within earshot about the kingdom of God. Yes, the kingdom of God contains life, but growth in the kingdom of God Though though the kingdom of God contains life, growth in the kingdom of God happens beyond our knowledge. Just because we know something about the kingdom of God doesn't mean we know everything about the kingdom of God. In fact, we really know very little about how the kingdom of God happens. You know, a scientist can explain what happens when a seed emerges, what it is scientifically that's going on within the heart of the seed. I imagine, I'm no expert here, and I will say that uh, I departed from biology a little after A-level, so I'm not even going to pretend to try and explain these processes to you, but I imagine a scientist can tell you something. Maybe we have some botanists here, a budding botanist, pun intended, uh, here in the room, and they'd be glad to tell you later. The scientific method can tell us something about what is happening. But what the scientific method can do nothing about is to tell us why this process is happening. Why is it that seeds sprout? Why is it the kingdom has life? We don't really know very much about the why of the kingdom. We don't know why life is contained within it. The life of the kingdom happens beyond our knowledge. It isn't something we know everything about. We don't know very much about our own spiritual growth. We don't know about, very much about spiritual growth in our lives. We, we don't know why it is that when we heard the message of the kingdom, it made sense to us, if it, if it indeed has. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I get, I, I'm all in in the kingdom of God. Well, if you're with me in that, you don't know. We don't know why one day when we heard somebody talking about Jesus, just connected with us. You know, we can sort of piece together the, the, what was happening in our lives at the time and all the different things that were going on to that point, but we don't know why when the seed was planted, something just connected, something happened. And maybe you're not yet in that place, you're in this room and you're hearing this message about the kingdom of God, you've heard us talk about Jesus, you see us singing songs to him and, and it's, it's just beginning to sort of, ah oh yeah, there's something in this, maybe you're just open to it in a new way. 
But none of us knows exactly the process and why it is that the kingdom bears fruit in the way it does. Why is it that sometimes in our lives with God, we seem to be stagnating, and other times we're just like going for it? Why is it that some prayer, sometimes when we pray, you know, maybe you're like me, you get your morning coffee, you go into your room and you just begin to pray. In the morning, it feels like all of heaven is just open and you're just like, God is here in the room. And other times it feels like the ceiling is made of iron. You just can't connect with God at all. Maybe, maybe you're looking at different seasons of your life and say, well, I used to pray this prayer and it just worked every time. And now I'm praying that prayer and it's not working. I used to pray for healing for, some, for people and I just saw so many people healed and now I pray for people and nothing happens. Why is it? Why is the kingdom of God like that? I, I've had these 10 friends that I've been praying for for decades. Nothing's happened. I just prayed for my friend at work the other day and something shifted. Why? We don't know. We don't know. Why is one person healed instantly? Or progressively, and then the other one isn't healed. We don't know why. We know the kingdom has life in it, but we don't fully understand it. And that's okay. Because knowledge is not the currency in the kingdom of God. Trust is. The kingdom of God doesn't depend on our knowledge. The kingdom of God depends on our trust. Currency in the kingdom is trust, not knowledge. Jesus goes on. He says, the earth yields crops all by itself. All by itself. The soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. A second principle of the kingdom follows on from the first. So the first is that growth in the kingdom of God happens beyond our knowledge. The second is that growth in the, in the kingdom of God happens beyond our control. And I tell you what, if the first one annoys me, the second one really frustrates me. Because really the purpose of knowledge, certainly in our, in our day and age, where knowledge is everything, information is capital today. You know, people used to make money off things like gold and other things, and now actually if you go to vast parts of our economy, actually depend on, on information. And information, the purpose of information in our day and age is control. If we understand it, we can control it. The ultimate aim, somebody said, of human knowledge is control. The reason we like to know things is so that we can control things. And I, I feel I'm probably the worst person I know around the need to be or feel in control. Because, by the way, none of us are in control. I love the feeling that I'm in control. I love to live with the illusion that I'm in control. I love the idea, the, the notion that I might be able to control the actions of another person. I mean, I, hopefully I don't mean this, you're not, you know, your opinion of me isn't falling too far. I, I, don't, I don't mean this sort of very meticulously, but I would love it. And yeah, I would love it if when I said to my kids, put your shoes on in the morning, kids, we're running late for school. I'd love it if it happened. I'd love it if it happened within half an hour of me saying it. I'd love it if when I said, have you done your teeth, the answer that came back was, was truthful, uh, but also I, I, I'd love it if it was yes. I'd love it if it was yes. You know, just things like this, little things. I'd love it if when I said to my dog, sit, my dog sat, or, you know, just things like that. I just love the idea that sort of my will will be done on earth. 
Not as it is in heaven. I, lo- I love the, the notion that I might be in control. And you know what I found about control? I found that control kills intimacy. You know, the, the kingdom doesn't work like that because we're not supposed to be in control. It's not our job. And when we try to control other people and other things, we just break intimacy. We break the connection between us and other people. I love the idea of controlling timescales. Now, again, as a parent, you know, I feel this particularly keenly, but I'm sure we all feel this. I love it if God came through when I asked him. I'd love it if he gave up this sort of obsession he seems to have with the 11th and a half hour. Why is it that you know, he can't reveal what he wants me to do or say or be or well ahead of time? Does he not know I'm a planner? Does he not know where my particular personality type fits on the Myers-Briggs scale? Why does he have to be one of these extroverts, the, uh, these you know, external processes that all shows up late and it never seems like they've done any planning and it pulls through perfectly at the end? Oh, I just love the idea that uh, my time scale might be honored. You know what I love? I love fast food. Oh, I do love it. I love fast shopping and I really, really love fast answers to prayer. I would like an instant harvest. I would like our vision here at Trinity to see the church on fire, the city alive. We've been here three years. I'd love us to be like measurably making progress. I think we are, but I'd love, to, I'd love to have seen more. I'd love, do you know in my early 20s, there are things that I thought were right, right there for me. I came back to faith in a, what for me was a really powerful sort of drawing back to the heart of God. And I thought God was ready to send me global. Thank God he didn't. There was so much, there still is, there was so much that needed to happen in me internally before I was ready to catch and carry what God had for me. We need to swap our stopwatches for calendars. We don't control the way, the time, the outcome in the kingdom of God. It doesn't happen as we wish it would. It doesn't happen when we wish it would. That's not the way of the kingdom. The currency of the kingdom is not control, but surrender. You want to make progress in the kingdom? Don't try and control God. Don't try and control your life. Surrender your life. Surrender your life. Surrender your past. Don't hold on to shame, guilt, and fear. Surrender your present. Release your pride. Surrender your future. Let go of your plans, your best five-year plans, your best 10, 20, 50-year plans. Hold them way more lightly than you even dare imagine. Say to God, look, whatever you want with my life, it's your life. I don't control even my own life. You think you have the power to control your next breath? You are in denial. Majorly, if you think you do. Every breath is a gift. And in the kingdom of God, we surrender every breath to the king. But, (laughs) but, having said we don't know how the kingdom operates, having said we never fully know or we're never able to control the kingdom of God, I do think that Jesus' teaching here enables us to learn something. I think there is something encouraging here. 
for us in this teaching. The first thing I want to say about Jesus' teaching in this parable on the kingdom is that the kingdom is Jesus-shaped. It won't surprise you to hear me say that. You're in a church after all. What do we read? He says this. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. How growth takes place in the kingdom of God is ultimately beyond our full understanding. It's beyond our control. And yet, Jesus offers us here a paradigm. He says night and day, night and day, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, There is an illusion, I believe, not an illusion, an allusion. Jesus is alluding, he's relating, referring to the shape of his kingdom here. Night and day, whether he goes to sleep or gets up, this is a picture of death and resurrection. The word that's used for getting up here is agero. It's a word that's used throughout the New Testament to refer to resurrection. Jesus is saying the way the kingdom always works, it always seems to work through death and resurrection. That is the shape of the kingdom. Jesus is saying that that the life of my kingdom is about to be released in the world through death and resurrection. That's how the kingdom comes. And you know, people didn't expect the kingdom to come in this way. People expected, and even the people at the time were praying and believing that a mighty warrior king would ride into Jerusalem and take Rome by force and kick them out and build a wall and keep them out forever. That's how people expected the kingdom of God to come with some powerful display of human force. And yet the king rides into a donkey and he walks, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and he walks out of the city carrying a cross. That is the way the kingdom comes. And he is raised from the dead three days later. That's the shape of the kingdom, night and day. How does the kingdom come in your life and in my life? It comes often when the seed is dropped down into the earth. Cast away and left. And it feels like everything is quiet. And God has left. And it feels like life is barren. It feels as if we're abandoned. Jesus felt this himself. My God, he said, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the cries of my groaning? Often a season of sowing is followed by a season of quietness and death. But after comes resurrection for those that patiently hold on to God. I forget that. For those to whom God patiently holds on. However well you think you're holding on to God, know this, God is holding on to you in those seasons. It means there's loss before repair. For us, I sense there are people in this room. I know there are people. I know I could look at you now and highlight you. I won't, but there are people in this room who have been in a season of intense pressure, silence, waiting, pain, 
feeling like God is distant, like he's abandoned. And I just want to say to you, there is hope on the other side of this pain. There is resurrection because that's how the kingdom always works. That's how a kingdom always works. I, I, I can't give you a, a confident proclamation that's going to happen this time, this side of death or not. I don't know. I'm not the king. I'm not in control, and neither are you, but the king will do what the king always does. He will raise us up on the last day. There is a fruitful season after the wilderness season. There is resurrection after the grave. That's how the kingdom works. Day always follows night with Jesus, always. Second thing we learn is the kingdom is automatic. This is I've wanted to preach this parable since we began at Trinity, partly simply because of this one insight, which isn't even that clever. But just so you know how sad I am. There we go. Jesus says, all by itself, the soil produces corn. All by itself. The Greek word there is automate, from which we get the word automatic. Automatic. Is that Jesus saying automatically? All by itself. The soil produces corn all by itself. In the kingdom, automatically, there is fruit. There is, if you like, to change the metaphor, there is momentum in the kingdom. The kingdom of God has a momentum to it that, listen to this, even death cannot contain. There is resurrection momentum to the kingdom of God. Even the darkest darkness in this city cannot stand against the light of the kingdom of God. And it may be that a period of time has to elapse. It may be even that that period of time is 32,000 years of hiddenness in the ground, but there will come a day when the seed will sprout and the flower will bloom and the kingdom of God will be made manifest in our city. There will come a time when God makes his kingdom manifest in your life. There will come that time all by itself because there's a momentum to the kingdom. The kingdom contains within itself a power, a generativity. The kingdom of God has a momentum. The kingdom of God has a direction. Do you know that the direction of the kingdom of God is toward life and hope and peace and flourishing and fruitfulness and healing and joy? And I don't want to make one of those claims that people make and say, it's going to happen in your life in this way and in that way and in this timing. I don't know. The kingdom is both now and the kingdom is not yet. And we will all die. And yet we will all be raised. We will be transformed. And so even in death, there's hope. Paul says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. We don't know how that's going to be revealed. We don't know what that will look like in our lives. But it is a cornerstone on which we can stand. We trust the automatic movement, the momentum of the kingdom. The kingdom is Jesus-shaped. The kingdom is automatic. And finally, the kingdom is seasonal. Seasons is there a more Christian word. I'm going through a season of dot, dot, dot. How many of us have heard that? Oh, my days. It's one of my faves. 
It is, and the reason it's one of my faves, the reason I've probably bored you to tears with this word is because it's true. The kingdom of God is seasonal. Forget, life is seasonal. You know, I don't plan to say this, but you know life, those of you who are younger, you know life is not all ascent. Life is not all bigger, better, all the way to the grave. You know, the, the mystics, the spiritual sages will say there are at least two halves to life. There's ascent, but we're building the life that we always dreamed we would live when we were just kids. And then somewhere after midlife, we begin descent. We begin descending. We do, we do. The body starts to creak a little bit. Amen, amen, brother. It does, it doesn't work exactly as it used to. We get sick a little bit more easily. We experience frustration in different ways. We see generations after us fulfilling the dreams we felt God had given to us. And I'm telling you, if you don't catch hold of this truth, your contribution in the second half of life will be so much reduced. We don't want to be older people trying to win back the glory years. We want to, we want to let our wisdom flow. God allowed there's more the kingdom has seasons. There are seasons to life. But there are seasons to nations. Just as there are seasons to individuals, there are seasons in the lives of nations. There are seasons. You know, there was this thing called the Roman Empire once. And we were it was completely certain. One thing was certain about the Roman Empire, and that was that it would never end. Never end? Have you seen the roads we've built? Aqueducts. <laughs> Sanitation, it's never going to end. And it did. You know, there's a line here. Jesus says, as soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it. This is a direct phrase, a direct quote of Joel 3.13. Where Joel's, Joel's short prophecy, short book of prophecy is all about the coming of the day of the Lord. That is a day of judgment in which God would begin in judgment of his people Israel and he would extend his judgment to the nations and after that season of judgment will come the most extraordinary renewal. Jesus is saying in and through his ministry, in and through his life, a judgment is coming and after that there will be a release of new life and we've seen that historically, we've seen that periodically, seasonally in the life of nations as well as we see it in the life of individuals. I believe and I wanna say that what I'm about to say is my own opinion. I don't speak now as God, but I believe that we are in a season of resizing. A season of stripping as a nation. You know, we were once the great empire upon which the sun never set. 
no longer. But what we're actually seeing in the moment as we negotiate our relationship to the rest of the world, because that's what's happening at the moment. And by the way, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not, even if I had an opinion on which was the right direction, I wouldn't tell you, and I certainly <laughs> wouldn't do it here. But I, what I observe is that that is the conversation we're having, isn't it? What does it look like for our nation? What's our relationship going to be with the rest of the world in the next season? And the fact is, we're not going into these conversations. And if we are, we are, uh, again, in denial. But if we're not going into these conversations holding all the cards, I think there is a season, a posture, that our nation is taking on of, and will need to take on of humility. And I think we are experiencing a measure of humiliation at the moment. I might be wrong, that's what I see. Although I look at our nation, I look at our... The, the kind of leadership we have. And I wonder to myself, and maybe if, and we pray for our leaders, and there's some wonderful people in all manner of political office and everything else and all that stuff and all those caveats, but I sometimes wonder, where is the wisdom? Well, let me ask you this, where is the fear of the Lord? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and I believe as a nation we've basically kicked out any notion of the fear of the Lord, and we ask, well, where, where is the wisdom a generation later? We're seeing this in the nation. I tell you, we're seeing this with the church. The Bible's clear. Judgment always begins in the house of God. There are extraordinary things happening in the church in our time. It is incredible. The growth of the church in Africa and in Asia, it is like wildfire. And in the West, the broad picture is of decline. That's the big picture. Is it not that we're in a season of resizing? And in the midst of this season of resizing, in the midst of this season of decline, in the midst of this season where God is cutting away wood that has become dead, God is at the same time preparing a people who hunger and thirst for his presence, who are ready to carry the message of the kingdom, that know it's like a seed that generates life wherever it goes. A remnant, a people who are committed to him in holiness. You know, the church, we, we've leaned on a strategy of connecting to the culture through relevance. And I believe it, I don't think it's going to work. Rather than pushing into relevance, we need to pursue renewal. The season of God, that God has for us as a church is not to focus on strategic stuff, although there is value, of course, in plans and strategies, but to hunger as God's people for a greater surrender. If we're to take this parable seriously, I believe that after this time of resizing is coming a time of hope and renewal and promise because that's what Jesus teaches about the kingdom. And if that's the season we're in, and you may disagree with me on that, that is my opinion. Hold it loosely. <laughs> you may have a completely different vision, a completely different view. You are so free to hold a different view. As I said, it's what I see. It isn't perfect. I don't have perfect vision, as you can now attest to. I'm beginning the ascent, folks. My eyes don't work as they did. But what I do sense is that we as a, as a church and as a nation, well, as a church, need to get ready because we're in a season of preparation. A season of preparation for what God wants to do. That's the habitat into which we're walking. And so as I close, I just want to suggest a couple of habits for this new habitat. And the first habit is the habit of repentance. Not a once and for all 
falling down at the front moment, though I welcome you to have that kind of moment. I'm talking about a habitual place where we get before God and we try and get right with him. If there are areas in our lives where we need to get right with God, now is the time. There is a window of favor, a window of opportunity for us to clean out all the stuff that we, we know is just holding us back from him, from the pursuit of him, from giving our all to him. What is it for you? I don't know. I know what it is for me. God has had to deal with me in the last season having to do with honor. How I honor people who aren't present. How I speak about people when they're not in the room. How I honor what other people are doing. I've had to work on that. It's something that I believe God is putting my way. I want to respond to that because I don't want to miss out on what God has. I don't want to be found when, the, when God shows up in power. I don't want to, be, I don't want to miss it because I'm, I'm jealous of the, something that somebody else is carrying. I don't want to miss it. I want to be able to bless it. Habits of repentance. Get right with God. Habits of trust. I want to encourage you, if you're holding on, you're patiently holding on, and you have been patiently holding on, keep holding on. Keep going. Keep trusting. Increase the measure of surrender. Be daring to say, God, I surrender even more to you today. I offer you my all. And as we do that, let's continue to pray for the kingdom of God to come, for the automatic kingdom of God, for the power, the momentum of the kingdom to be released in our city. Why don't we stand as we respond? Hey, thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. Each week at the end of the podcast, we want to take a few minutes to share some of the stories of what God is doing in our city and in the life of the church. So this week, I'm with Joanne Artin. Joanne is our worship leader here at Trinity Church. Joanne, tell me a little bit about yourself. A little bit about myself. So as Bill said, worship leader at Trinity Church Nottingham, which is a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, I'm Scottish. You can hear. We can hear that, yeah. You can hear the accent. Lived in London for a couple of years. I moved to Nottingham with Johnny and Amy and the team. Been here for three years now. Just got my first home. Come on. Come on. It's good times. Um, Currently, it's been decorated. Um, So just... Yes, settling into the city. I love Nottingham. Feel like I'm called to be here. Um, yeah. And we we're seeing some really incredible stuff happen in kids' church, particularly, and even from the very beginning at Trinity. I remember Joanne, you leading worship here, and we're recording in Johnny and Amy's house when we were having Sunday school here Mm. and there was just a handful of kids and parents and it was a really really sweet time and we realized from an early stage that youth and kids were going to be a big part of the story here at Trinity and just recently uh, you guys wrote a song can you tell us a little bit about that and how it came about and what you see kind of those kids doing yeah well I feel at Trinity um, the kids are usually the ones to lead us in the right direction so I had this dream to write a worship um, album for Trinity but I felt like God was saying start with the kids Um, and I really heard him clearly say that so Ruben and Mabel Jones started to write a song with their dad Adam Jones and um, Adam sent me a little clip it was just a couple lines long 
and I, I just jumped at it and I said, can I, can I have your kids over for um, a hot chocolate? I don't actually know what I had. We had donuts, we had donuts. Um, so Ruben, Mabel and I, we ate some donuts and I got my guitar out and we just started talking about God and the melody was already there. Adam and Mabel had been writing that and we just put some lyrics around this song and it's called God is with me. We sang it at church for the first time on Sunday and it's just incredible to see kids writing worship songs and their passion for God and just really inspiring, it's inspiring me. We're seeing incredible stuff come out of the kids in church and just them, like really the spirit of God moving and doing a new thing. Uh, <laughs> God. I know, I know, right? But can you tell us a little bit about what Mabel did in her room? Yeah, so I, I think um, she basically got a Sharpie pen, <laughs> as you do, and, and wrote on her brand new bunk bed. <laughs> She wrote this incredible line. She wrote, do a new thing, God, on the top of her bunk bed. And it's just an amazing, I mean, Mabel's six years old and she's writing that on her bed. I'm hungry to see God move, hungry to see God move in her school, in her family, in her life. And that's the way that she um, expressed her, her hunger. Yeah, that's our prayer as well, to do a new thing in this city and the worship team and kids team in the church. I think we'll have Anna come on next week and tell us some of the stories that are coming out of kids church. We wish we could tell them all, uh, but maybe this is just a snippet uh, for you to view into what's happening in the life of the church yep. here. Thank you so much, Joanne, yep. for your time. Uh, man, if you're in Nottingham or if you'd like to join us on Sundays, we meet at 10.30 and starting again at 6.30 on the 22nd of September. Or alternatively, if you have a story of something that God is doing wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email at stories at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.